to oh i thought you've been recording i didn't know you turned it off ah damn it hey this is barry and you're listening to i live the 90s alan and brian And now it's time for Cancun, Mexico's favorite segment. Sponsored, not sponsored. Look, if there's a way to have fun, somebody will find it. And that's cool with us. Hey, whatever makes you feel good, right? That's why we put the fruit in Fruitopia, to make you feel good. Fruitopia, we just want to make you feel good. And you know what really makes people feel good? Big things. That's why we put Fruitopia in the big 20-ounce bottle. That's 25% more fruit than the old 16-ounce bottle. Anything to make you feel good, like I said, and as Fruitopia says a million times, it's to make you feel good, the drink that makes you feel good. Fruitopia, <laughs> out of business a long time ago. I feel good. <laughs> Welcome back to I Live the 90s. We are on episode 32. I am Alan along with co-host Brian. Brian, how are you doing today? Fantastic. We are doing our Magic Johnson episode, episode 32. Very excited about that. You know, there's nobody better at playing basketball and nobody better at talking about basketball or anything in general than Magic Johnson. That's right, because he knows how to tell these players they move sideways to the mile. <laughs> <laughs> there, we got that out of the way. Today's episode is not about Magic Johnson or the Magic Hour, but we are going to be talking about late night TV, late night talk shows, and the 90s uh, really was a transitional decade of late night talk shows. The emergence of Jay Leno, David Letterman, Conan O'Brien, even some Arsenio on there. So we're going to dive into the stories behind all of those, our experiences watching those. Um, I'm excited to, to talk about that, but first, it's time for some office hours with uh, the professor, who, what he would do when he was a kid, uh, he would record the Tonight Show and then play it at 5 a.m. and watch it before school. Barry, take <laughs> it away. Hey, thanks, Alan. It's good to be back in my office for a few hours, and um, I do have some clarifications and amplifications on episode 31, Tom Hanks and Tom Cruise. Starting off with The Outsiders, you did a great job of naming all the actors who were in that movie, but you did leave off one prominent actress, Diane Lane, who was getting her start around that time. Ralph Macchio was, of course, one of those actors, and you're correct, that he hasn't done much since My Cousin Vinny until Cobra Kai, but he did, shortly thereafter, do a movie called Naked in New York, which is directed by Martin Scorsese and had a number of stars in it, but didn't really do well in the box office. Uh, one note about uh, the Fast and the Furious franchise, they've definitely drifted past street racing. In the eighth installment, the ninth is delayed due to COVID, the eighth installment has them stopping a nuclear war by sneaking onto some nuclear submarine and manipulating the nuclear launch codes. Nuclear, nuclear, nuclear. 
All right, Tom Cruise has been nominated for three Academy Awards with no wins. Twice he was nominated for Best Actor, once for Born on the Fourth of July, and once for Jerry Maguire. Switching to Tom Hanks, uh, despite all his great movies, he's been nominated for, quote, only six Academy Awards with only two wins, back-to-back Best Actor, Philadelphia, and Forrest Gump. The other actor in Bosom Buddies is called Peter Scolari, and coincidentally, he also did an episode of Happy Days in 1983. Uh, I'm not sure who decided that Tom Hanks would be uh, the best choice for Forrest Gump, but reportedly, once uh, he read the script, he quickly agreed. Uh, Robert Zemeckis was the director of that movie, and he uh, almost certainly had a hand in picking uh, who would be the uh, titular role. Uh, among the actors considered were John Travolta, Bill Murray, Chevy Chase, and Sean Penn. Uh, all of those, I would say, are different from the type of actor that the author of the book thought should play it. He thought it should be more of a John Goodman type, which really would have been a different role. Uh, Apollo 13 was the third uh, moon mission, 11, 12, 13, and we went uh, four times after that. The significance to NASA and the scientific community was that they were going to different parts of the moon and uh, studying different things, but that sort of nuance uh, was sort of lost on the public, and they uh, lost interest until something went horribly wrong, and then horribly right, and then they made uh, the, the book and wrote the movie and everybody got famous. Uh, a note on Major League, it is R-rated. It came out in April of 1989 and uh, would have come out in home video either later that year or early the following year when we were in kindergarten. So putting an R-rated movie in a daycare with a bunch of kindergartners, probably not the best idea. Uh, back to Forrest Gump, Lieutenant Dan was, of course, played by Gary Sinise. And I would say that um, editorializing here, he didn't make his peace with Forrest at Forrest's wedding. He'd already done that, that he was sort of making his peace with himself uh, as symbolized by his acceptance of, um, you know, of getting sort of over his um, his sadness and his disability, the prosthetics, moving on and um, settling into a uh, long-term relationship. Now, when he made his peace with God, or at least had a shouting match with God, he was in the crow's nest of the shrimping boat Jenny. Back uh, briefly to Gary Sinise, his foundation, which appropriately enough raises money for wounded veterans, has been quite successful. Uh, bringing in approximately $200 million to date. Uh, lastly, one note on You've Got Mail, which uh, came up in an earlier episode of uh, this podcast, how quickly you forget that it was not just based on a shop around the corner. Before that, there had been a Hungarian play. Then after the movie, there was a movie musical, then a Broadway musical, and then several decades after that was the... Uh, rom-com uh, of the 90s, which uh, one thing you didn't mention, that was the third time that Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan had done a movie together. Anyway, that's all I got for this time. Uh, back to you. All right. Thanks so much, Professor Barium, for doing what you do, Playboy, back in the groove. Getting into this week's episode, Alan, we're going to talk about the late night, the original late night wars between David Letterman and Jay Leno, but it requires us stepping back ever so slightly and talking about the man they were kind of fighting over. So if you remember, dear listeners, there was an entire late night war in the 2000s that went back and forth between Jay Leno and Conan O'Brien. We're actually going to talk about Conan O'Brien today. I know we talked about that already, but that's why everybody already had feelings about Jay Leno and it stemmed from the original sort of like snake vibes he gave off when the Tonight Show was up for grabs the first time. Starting with Johnny Carson, he 
I think had the longest run. I, I don't have the dates in front of me, but he had like a 20, 25 year run uh, leading that show that led into the early nineties. So that's why it's important that we talk about him. He had kind of mailed it in towards the end of his career. You know, Joan Rivers was kind of in the mix to take over the job for him. Jay Leno was, was rumored, but everybody really thought the guy was going to be David Letterman. And that was because he had the show just after. So it was the tonight show with Johnny Carson. And I think it was maybe late night or something with David Letterman. And I actually think Conan O'Brien ended up taking over that show late night with Conan O'Brien was the same institution as late night with, um, David Letterman. So they were both on NBC. That's why it made the most sense for him to, to take it in. He had filled in for him. He had been a comedian on the show. And that was one of those things that was a rite of passage for comedians. It was basically if Johnny Carson kind of gave you that good job or some, he had some phrase that he would say to them, Professor Barry, if you can look that up, he would say, it kind of gave you like that official, like, Oh, Carson loves me. This is great. I am. I've arrived. Basically you did a type five minutes on Carson. He would tell you I've arrived. Um, what are your thoughts on just Johnny Carson? Generally speaking. Uh, two things. I mean, he was great at his job. Um, I was a little too young to yeah. really remember, you know, the tonight, uh, the tonight show, but, uh, reruns of it play on some random network that I have on cable. And if I catch it on, I'll watch it because he had a, I noticed about him. He had a very specific kind of cadence and how he did his interviews. Mm-hmm. He was very like short. He's like, where'd you grow up? What'd you do? And then what, how was that? Like he, he never really made it about him. He really was a very good interviewer. Yeah. And I uh, actually watched one very recently where uh, little Ricky Schroeder uh, was his guest. He was like a child. Like I think Silver Spoons had just started. Actually, this may have even been pre-Silver Spoons. I think this was right after the movie The Champ came out. Okay. Uh, where he was a little kid is. and um, his dad is uh, John Voight. And like Voight, Voight's a boxer. It's a good movie. And uh, Ricky has a nice scene in the end where he's crying. And he's got these big blue eyes and just, I don't know, just, it's just Hollywood. It's just yeah. peak Hollywood right there. You know, little, little gorgeous kid crying his eyes out. But uh, he interviewed Ricky Schroeder and did a really good job with that. And just how he was able to get the kid to just, you know, express himself. I did another, there was another one I saw uh, where Jaleel White was the guest. Okay. Family Matters was just taken off and, and he was he was Johnny Carson's guest, you know, not in character. He was just Jaleel and he brought ice creams. He Jaleel made did? he made uh, Jaleel did. Yeah, he made these homemade ice creams and he brought them and he gave one to uh, he gave one to um, Carson. And then he also gave one to Jay Leno, who was hanging out there that day. So you can tell Jay Leno was already kind of creeping <laughs> on trying to get that job. And he called it uh, it was Carson Crunch was the name of the one he made for Carson. Okay. And then the the ice cream he made for Leno was called Lemon Leno. And uh, he gave it to him. <laughs> Interesting. So this is like when he was like peak nerd still. Like he was really a nerd. And then we talked about in episode one of this show. If you guys want to go back to the to the beginning, episode one was about Jaleel White becoming cool. That's a great lead into to what I was going to say, too, about him, which was he was a fantastic interview, and he really did his best to highlight the guest. He knew he was just the vessel to let them display their talents, basically. And that chair was really famous, and, and you wanted to be there, and you wanted to do well on you know Johnny Carson's show. Um, back to him mailing it in, I think I knew a couple things about him, which was he would play tennis like in all whites and he also had a white Corvette um, that he would drive around. So it's kind of known <laughs> that like he just really was, had this clean image. 
but was one of those guys that was super, if not genuine, like caring and polite to everyone. And, and when he could was giving of his time. I may be completely wrong, but that's, I think I remember hearing that uh, sort of about him. So he's decided he wants to be done with the show. He's going to retire. And there's a little bit of a, hey, who's going to be like carry the torch going forward? Is it going to be the guy in the slot just after him, which is the more natural one? And he's already got the contract with NBC. He's already done business. He's already doing the numbers and got his own following. Or is it going to be Jay Leno, who did not have his show? He didn't have his own show at that point. You know, he basically was coming from the um like the the comic circuit the comedian circuit and was traveling the country you know doing gigs and stuff like that but as you mentioned with Jaleel White he was always around he was ready to feel it fill in but he was also sort of like I know Ed McMahon was on the show as well and sometimes on the couch but I think Jay Leno would just kind of help right and add sort of like comedic relief does that sound familiar? I think so, and I, I think he was on a lot as a comedian. Mm-hmm. Like, he would have a spot on there to do comedy. Like, a lot of comics do. They they perform on these late-night shows. So I really think that's how it started, at least the, the introduction. Mm-hmm. Jay Leno, like, crushes, by the way. I know he sort of became known for being, like, very vanilla as the host of, spoiler alert, the host of uh, The Tonight <laughs> Show, but... His stand-up is just outrageous and super funny and worked a little more blue um, and just brought brought the house down. And David Letterman had a very unique sort of smarter cutting humor that I didn't actually get when I was a little kid because, you know, by the time I was old enough to stay up late and watch these shows, it was a choice between the two because they went head-to-head and Jay Leno was a monster in the ratings. He was number one probably every week that they did it or a month or however they do Nielsen ratings. And I would watch that show and chuckle politely, but I never had like belly laughs. And then I'd go watch David Letterman and it was just way over my head. I never understood. I did the top 10. That was funny. And like stupid human tricks, I think was really funny. But beyond yeah. those two, <laughs> I really did not laugh at all. And then going back and seeing him sort of get introspective after, you know, that scandal he had with his, you know, wife and maybe it was somebody who worked for him and the cancer scare, I really got a chance to appreciate David Letterman and thought, man, if I'd been a little older, I would have probably really preferred that. Um, What are your thoughts on those two? And I think that's how it went. I think people a little bit older preferred Letterman. Mm -hmm. And I think people a little bit younger, but not that much younger, um, liked Leno. Growing up, I mean, most of the time it was during the summers when I was staying up real late and, and you know, watching late night TV. Um, I really went by who had the better guests. Yeah. And it felt like Leno or NBC, you know, together were able to pull better guests than, yeah. than Letterman did. Um, Letterman, I think, just naturally is a funnier guy. Uh, but I think the production value of the Tonight Show and their star power um, was was better. There was there was one summer though that I'd, I'll never forget this. I think it was between maybe sixth and seventh grade, maybe even fifth and sixth grade, where uh, Letterman pulled open the phone book and he's like, "I'm going to find the most ridiculous name here, and I'm going to get this guy on my show." 
And uh, it, went, it went through the whole summer of him tracking this guy down as a guy he found named, named Dick Assman. No way. It's like, yes, it's like Dick <laughs> Assman. And he like on the air, he like called him at work. He's like, is a yes, does Dick Assman work there? <laughs> <laughs> what did he do for a profession? Do you remember? I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> and I don't know if he ever actually got him on the show, but I remember that was a, a bit for a long time. But um, around that time was when the Rockets were winning championships. Uh-huh. And um, it was in the summer, and they would always bring the, the winner of the championships, like, one by one onto the shows. Yeah. So I remember uh, Sam Cassell, the little alien-looking <laughs> dude, was on in New York on Letterman, and he was interviewed there, and he was getting booed, you know. Oh uh, yeah, because it was in New York. We just beat the Knicks, and uh, he was a real good sport about it, you know. He wasn't mean or anything. And uh, I remember later that same day or during that same trip, he was caught going into a, a hotel room with Madonna. Whoa, Sam Cassell. All right, then, little alien. I wish I could. So I had a run in with Sam Cassell at the 2002 Western Conference Finals when the uh, Mavericks were playing the Spurs and he's I, like, we were just walking in, must've been in this like suites level or some level where like commoners weren't necessarily usually going to be. And we stopped and was like, Hey, can we take a picture with you? And I've got a picture of me, my buddy, either Mike or Travis and Sam Cassell wearing like a Canadian tuxedo, like just starched pressed denim, <laughs> like the crease down the knees, crease down the elbows. I mean, looking fresh. Um, for 2002 anyway. Um, but then moving into sort of what happened, we talked about this already. It was kind of assumed that David Letterman was going to take over. And when he didn't, he got usurped by Jay Leno, who, as I kind of understand it, there's a great book and actually like a great documentary or not documentary, like mockumentary sort of thing on HBO that they made kind of around the time that, that details all this. Um, he just took his ball and went home. He said, all right, well, if you're not going to give me that job, I'm not going to like hang around and like follow Jay and be like, Jay's not going to be my lead in. Like I'm going to CBS and I'm taking like my ball and going with me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think CBS resurrected the, um, the late show Mm -hmm. that got canceled. Like hadn't been since the Ed Sullivan days. Right. Um, they, they resurrected that show specifically for Letterman. Mm-hmm. to give him that show, get CBS back on the late night map and have him go head to head. And and Dave was ready for the challenge. You know what I remember sort of liking about that show? And this has nothing to do with like the talent that was on it. I actually liked the way the theaters were more in um, David Letterman's. It was like an old sort of like sloped up auditorium where Jay's, you could tell they were packed into like a studio and that crowd yeah. went sort of straight vertical, and Conan O'Brien's too, but um, David Letterman's was nice and, and sort of like in a theater, like he was putting on a show, it felt like, I don't know, this is a weird distinction that I just remember thinking about. Yeah, yeah, because I know, because, um, yeah, Letterman filmed in New York, and uh, I, I think, and Leno really was just the studio in Burbank. Yep. That, yep. Um, you know, just with a bunch of other studios. On the lots. Um, so to fill in, after the vacancy left by uh, David Letterman over to CBS, NBC brought in Conan O'Brien. Conan O'Brien, I don't know, I mean, he had already done all these things. He was the head writer at SNL. He was the head writer for The Simpsons. And I just can't imagine a better resume to, like, 
taking on that late night job than those two head writing positions. I mean, maybe he could have been the head writer there, but that's a seriously talented guy. Yeah, for sure. And I, and he, I think it was pretty dang young. Oh um, yeah. When, when he, when he first started there and had already had all those accolades, you know, built, built up. Yeah. He's a Harvard guy. Um, I don't, I think he graduated from there. I know he gave a, a really great commencement speech, um, after he was already gone, but, um, he did some of the, the funniest stuff. And I think because his humor was a little more juvenile, he knew he was on super late and that people weren't watching his show. That was kind of always the joke. And that's the joke yeah. a lot of people make. We make that joke. Like, no, nobody's listening and nobody's watching. So we can kind of get away with what we want. We couldn't ever do on like a 10 p.m. you know, broadcast because, well, everybody that like the uh, the, the censors are asleep. That was always like a joke that he would tell. People. Yeah, <laughs> just get away. You no, know, it's murder. What, what's extra funny about how late his show was, was that it was on even later in Houston for some reason. OK, so at, so for all of the country. Mm-hmm. After Leno was Conan O'Brien, yeah. except Houston. After Leno was like reruns of Jenny Jones or paid programming or infomercials or whatever. And then at like 2.30 a.m. they showed um, Conan. Wow. Yeah, so for a while. Eventually um, it got put right right after Leno. But the thing is, while that was going on, um, he knew that. Uh-huh. And he made this big bit about how, for some reason, Houston puts me on at 2.30 in the morning when the rest of the country has me on right after Leno. He's like, here's the kind of commercials that they play at 2.30 <laughs> in the morning in Houston. And he played two commercials. He played Mattress Mac. <laughs> and then, I don't know if you're as familiar with this one, he played the the Hilton Furniture guy, that that's a fact, Jack. He has a chainsaw. No. And he goes, these are the kind of people, this is what they got going on in Houston during <laughs> during my show. So what he ended up doing is he he had both commercials, and this is like the very early days of the internet. He goes, go online and vote on which commercial you like better, and uh, I will bring that guy onto my show. Oh, so man. they had so the 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 public had a vote on okay who do you like better, Mattress Mac or the Hilton Furniture? You know that's a fact, Jack guy, and uh, they end up voting for the Hilton Furniture guy. What? So he, yeah, so he brought him on the show. Oh. Uh, he had a he had a bit with the chainsaw where he like <laughs> like slaughtered like the like this glass to go inside, and he goes, you know, your commercial really sucks, and I'm gonna take you to the top advertising agency in New York. We're gonna film you a brand new commercial. <laughs> so he took him over there, and during that bit, he met with um, like the advertising team over there. One of them was a woman who he ended up meeting during that bit and ended up being Conan O'Brien's wife. Really? So, so Conan met his wife because through doing that bit when he brought in the two uh, the, or brought in the uh, late night furniture guy <laughs> from Houston. <laughs> oh, now that is a great story. Nobody could have foreseen that we were going to end up there. I like we could turn off the the recording now and just end on that. That's an incredible story, man. Um, yeah. All right, so. I think we should probably, that's a good overview of kind of what happened. If you're super interested in that story, there's plenty out there on the internet. I definitely encourage you to go check that out. Um, we're going to push forward just a little bit and talk about a few other things. Um, Alan, I'm going to leave it to you like we did a couple episodes ago. We can talk about our favorite bits from each of these guys, or we can talk about their sidekicks. Either one. We're going to get to both, though. Uh, let's, do, <laughs> let's do sidekicks. Okay. So the original sidekick was Ed McMahon. And he just had, like, such a buttery voice. He just sounded, like, rich and old and 
sort of that vaudeville, I don't know if it's vaudeville, but that old Hollywood sound to his voice. Has anyone seen him not in a tuxedo? I have never personally seen. Has he not been in a black tuxedo? Anything you've ever seen him in? (laughs) Even in like when he was giving away checks after the Super Bowl. Yeah, the sweepstakes, the publishers (laughs) clearing out sweepstakes, tuxedo, star search, tuxedo. He was. Was he in a tuxedo for bloopers and practical jokes? Yeah, yeah, he'd be at a podium with uh, uh, Dick Clark. <laughs> so we hit the highlights already. Ed McMahon <laughs> would sort of hang out, you know, as as the shows got longer and longer, they got more comfortable. They broke form a little bit, and, you know, Ed McMahon would just introduce the show. Here's Johnny. Like, that was his famous, you know, intro. And then eventually over the years, he would just sort of be invited to the couch because he came. he became a personality in so much as, like, a part of the show, too. So he would sort of chip in and chime in, but... I really liked him from Star Search, and that had to be just like, I think of that as like probably being just like a terrible job, because at some point you're going to see like the disappointment in somebody's face like every 15 minutes, like you're just crushing <laughs> somebody's dream over and over and over again. Uh, Girls Time was on there, we talked about that, that was the uh, the precursor to Beyonce and uh, Kelly Rowland's, you know, Oh, right, adventures. yeah. Um, I, think, I think Timberlake was on there. I think he was country. When and he, he was, was country. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he's from Memphis, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was Lauren Hill on that too? Did, is that what we... No, Lauren Hill was on Apollo and got booed. Oh, that's what the, the same as the Go White Boy, Go White Boy from yeah. uh, New, New Kids, Kids on, on the Block. The block. <laughs> um, so that was an interesting, like, good show. I thought I remembered him being on Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, but we clarified that was... Who was that? Robin, Robin Leach. Leach. Yeah, Robin Leach. Um, and that was a fantastic show. That was basically like Cribs before Cribs. Or like if yeah. Cribs and Let's Pimp My Ride. just go admire rich people and all the rich people stuff. Yeah. If it was like Cribs and Pimp My Ride like had a grandfather, that's the show. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't remember bloopers and, and, and practical jokes, but it was basically YouTube before YouTube. Or YouTube before Bob Saget before... You know, yeah, it was it was bloopers from TV shows, like instead of the cut reel at the end where they did the bloopers, it was, you know, it was all behind the scenes, you know, you never, never before seen, you know, bloopers when they screw up on the Cosby show or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then it was also practical jokes where they were, it was like punked. Oh, okay. Uh, the only one I remember from that, I remember they, they did a bit with the uh, Philadelphia 76ers. Okay. When, uh, when Barkley and Manute Bull uh, were on the team. And they were in like the like media dining or the, the players dining thing, and there were all these little platters. Mm-hmm. And the minute bowl lifted up a platter, and like someone's head was on, it, and it freaked them out. And like all the players in Barkley were all laughing at him. <laughs> um, I was more of a Dom DeLuise practical joke man myself. Oh, that's candid camera. Yeah, smile. You're on candid <laughs> camera. So who would win a handsome contest, uh, Dom DeLuise or Paul Prudhomme? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> We'll leave it up to the internet to decide. I'll put that as a poll. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jay Leno, his two sort of sidekicks, well, his main sidekick was Kevin Eubanks, who had like a Dr. Hibbert laugh. Uh, 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 uh. That's all you heard off camera. You never saw him, but you just heard the... Uh, 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 uh. And then the like, the like bass guitar, the... Yeah. <laughs> And then, uh, which you reminded me of, I couldn't remember, I couldn't think of who Jay Leno's um, 
actual like feature man was or his his intro man was Stuttering John from the Howard Stuttering Stern John. show. Yeah. Which yeah, is sort he of left amazing. Howard Stern to to be the announcer. I mean, smart move, kind of. You know like Professor, this is a money question, so I know you'll be all over this, but I'm asking you to help me clarify all this. I think Howard Stern just signed like a four-year, $125 million per year deal with Sirius, and he's working like three or four days a week. Like he's doing the Howard Stern show three or four days a week, $125 million a year for four years. I I never understood why he is so ridiculously popular like he is the godfather of Sirius like without him yeah like he left mainstream radio went to Sirius and he is their he is their anchor yeah contract yeah um I don't uh, I mean I remember when his show I remember when they would simulcast his his uh, radio show on E back in the day and it would be on real late and every time I flipped through all I saw was blurry because there was always some woman (laughs) naked and she's, she's blurred out like every you, time i wa- every time i went by there was blurry could you imagine listening to that like oh howard stern's talking to a hot woman on the radio like who cares i mean it was it had to be just for the simulcast on on e i remember that too take your shirt off okay <laughs> i mean <laughs> such a scene i don't get man. it um i don't get it he also had the sort of biopic called private parts and i know he is sort of unofficially credited for better or for worse with a version of twitter that exists this to this day which is he's like i've got a twitter account and he said this on his radio show i think i got a twitter account um they're going to be streaming private parts on saturday i'm going to be watching it and uh check in and i'll basically like tweet you know behind the scenes stuff as it's going on so watch it with me live um, and people did, and people loved it basically because he was just sort of like live tweeting. You know, at that point, it was just Facebook, just just the wall version of Facebook, but at like 240 characters. And Twitter never made sense to me. I was like, that, like, no pictures, no, it's just what people think. Like, who cares? And it was a better <laughs> time, Alan. It was a much, much better time. You know, a lot of this stuff always starts out with who cares. I remember when texting first became a thing. I thought it was so stupid. Oh, it's yeah. like, why would I sit here and type out what I want to say to this person where I can just call them? Mm-hmm. Now it's like anything I can do to not have to actually dial somebody, I will do that. I will text. <laughs> I will email. I will instant <laughs> message. I'll DM. I'll do whatever. Just don't let, just please do not make me talk to you on the phone. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you're willing to put up with me on the video once a week. I appreciate that. It says a lot. That's all I I can take. (laughs) I can't take it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sidebar, have you started, um, Squints made me think of this because he's in Freaks and Geeks. How many episodes deep are you? It's only been out for two days. We're we're too deep. We watch watch one a day. Okay, me too. Um, This is funny because Suzanne sort of like, she watched it with me in in a full run already once before. And she sort of have always like poo-pooed and was like, ugh, I don't like that show. But I'll be watching it on the iPad and I see her just like looking over, like checking in and like sitting for an mm-hmm. entire 10 minutes. I'm like, you can just say you like the show. <laughs> anyway, back to the topic at hand. Um, Stuttering John, we talked about Kevin Eubanks. David Letterman always had Paul Schaefer. And we talked about like having Paul Schaefer money because Paul Schaefer was one of those like 
quietly rich musicians. Yeah, yeah, he wrote, um, he's written a lot of songs. The only one I can think of offhand is he wrote It's Raining Men for the Weather Girls, which, <laughs> Martha, as we've mentioned, as we've mentioned many times in this history of this podcast, the original name for the Weather Girls was Two Tons of Fun. Two Tons of Fun, baby. <laughs> Just two big black women doing their damnedest. Oh, Martha Walsh. Poor Martha, Martha Walsh. Was that what ep- that was episode two or three? With C&C it was music definitely Factory. in the first five when we did CNC Music Factory. We did we did music in 1991, yeah. I think specifically. Man, um, go check that out. Go check everything out. Um, who was David Letterman's? What is the what is this person called? The intro man? Like what is the host? It's not the host. It's the I don't know who his guy was. I only ever knew uh, who Leno's was because that's the only one that they made a big deal about it. Like mm-hmm. where Stuttering John actually introduced himself. Right. It's like me, I'm John, whatever his actual uh, <laughs> last name is. Um, so Paul Schaefer, he just, he had a look and I can appreciate that. If it, w- it was like, if you could merge like Jordy and Data from Star Trek... <laughs> And put it into a human. That's what Paul Schaefer looked like to me. Really, I always saw him as a mashup of Jimmy Buffett and Larry David. Okay. <laughs> because like he had like he wore Hawaiian shirts and sunglasses, <laughs> but like the rest of them just looked like a bald Jew. <laughs> <laughs> accurate. All these things are accurate. <laughs> um, he always was like doing dad jokes too. That's all. Like very obvious. Like. Dumb, very simpleton humor is all I remember from Paul Schaefer. And like giving himself like yeah. the keyboard, like, that's all I have from Paul Schaefer is that he looked really weird. Yeah, I mean, that's it. And he was back there banging on that keyboard. But he also had like the plexiglass. He was he was taken into COVID protocol like way before. Yeah. He was a COVID <laughs> he was a germaphobe. <laughs> <laughs> There's too many people in here. <laughs> um, Conan O'Brien's was Andy Richter, and then his go-to guy for years, especially in the '90s, was Max Weinberg of the Max Weinberg Seven. Um, I have thoughts on both those guys, but I'm, I'm, I'm I want to hear sort of your unfiltered thoughts first. Uh, Richter for me is kind of, eh. you know, I mean, I, I, I think he's. I mean, he's he's funny, you know, he's good in that role. But I remember they gave him his own show for a while, and it didn't work. Um, some of his actual acting bit, bits, eh. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as Max Weinberg, I'm not really a Bruce Springsteen guy. He was Bruce. He was the E Street Band drummer for forever. Yeah. And you know, um, I I didn't learn this until pretty recently. Is that you just assume okay, Max is doing his thing. He's killing it with Bruce Springsteen, and he got this gig with Conan. Just you know, just to take time, take up yeah. time when he's not touring. But that is not the case. Weinberg was jobless. The E Street Band had officially been broken up, and Bruce was on hiatus indefinitely. It was yeah. unclear if he was ever gonna, you know, tour again with the E Street Band. And uh, Max needed that job. Really. And uh, auditioned for it and took it very seriously and was like desperate. He was like depressed. He's like, I have no job. E Street Band is done forever. And what am I going to do? Like, I, I have to land this gig. I have wow. to do it. Yeah. I did not know that. I thought the same thing as you did. Um, I think you were spot on with your Andy Richter. Yeah, he did the Andy Richter show. But 
I remember when he was on originally and he was taken away, I was like, oh no, that's it. Like their dynamic is so great and so funny and he plays off of Conan so well. And you know why I thought that is because when you get like a legit belly laugh from Conan O'Brien, you've said something very funny because he does the courtesy laugh all the time and he's just kind of like amused by comedy and people trying to do comedy. But when he loses his, like when he loses his it's just... It's an infectious laugh that gets me, and Andy Richter could do that. Even if it didn't make me laugh, but it made Conan laugh, that made me laugh, basically. Yeah. So when he went away, I thought, that's it, man. This is this is sort of an end of an era. It's terrible. And then Conan was awesome without him. Like, he was great. And then whenever yeah. he went to L.A. to take over The Tonight Show for Jay Leno, he brought Andy back, and I was like, ugh, this is... Ugh. It was weird, was like wasn't it? It, yeah. just, it just didn't fit. What do you, let me ask you a question. Here's just a general late night question. Do you prefer when the guests stay on and then just move down the couch and then they're all there together as a new guest comes in? Like Leno did that, um, but I don't think Conan did, and Letterman certainly didn't. Like when your tur- turn was over, you left the couch, and then it was just Letterman and the guest for the next segment. He did. He No, so I like when they they keep them on. And that weird dynamic sort of exists when the other guest doesn't realize that they don't get to talk anymore, but they still want to chime in because like they're comfortable out in front of everybody now. So Conan O'Brien did, at least in the, in, in the 90s on that show he did. And the only reason I know this is because sort of like David Letterman, where I didn't appreciate him at the time, I've come around on Norm MacDonald hard. And I have watched like a lot of old videos. And there's one... Um, interview in particular that Conan O'Brien did with one of the girls from 90210, Courtney Thorne Smith, the blonde, like she was like one of the the main blondes on it. And she had, you mean Jenny Garth? No, no, no. Courtney Thorne Smith. She looks like Jenny. If I was going to describe Jenny Garth, that would also explain, describe Courtney Thorne Smith. Uh, We'll look it up. She's, she's, and she was on 90210. No, did I say 90? I meant Melrose Place. Oh, Melrose Place. Yes, yes. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Court- yeah, yeah. It was 90210 for adults. It was the same <laughs> Beep. I haven't beeped out things in a while. I need to get back on that. <laughs> but, um, so he's interviewing her, and she's talking about this movie that she's done with Carrot Top, and Norm MacDonald is like, oh, he's like, that, that's going to be a real snooze fest. <laughs> he's just going in on Carrot Top and Conan O'Brien has a job to do so he he's amused one by like um, what's his name I can't, uh, Norm MacDonald but he's also got a job to do and she's just going on about this like untitled you know uh, movie that they're making um, and sets up Norm MacDonald for a perfect joke um, I'll, I'll link it in the in the Facebook group but then my thought going back originally too we talked about andy richter and max weinberg my favorite like max weinberg bit was when they ned flanders him and they made him like weirdly sexy and he would like take his shirt off do you remember this no (laughs) (laughs) so it was a character when he would talk to like you know he would talk to max weinberg in the same way that um jay leno would talk to his guy and schaefer and all them and he would just say like, "What what was your weekend like, Max?" And they would he would tell a story about like he'd go off in his own brain, and then they cut back to him and he'd be like shirtless and like it was always about him being super sexy, basically because he was <laughs> such a buttoned up, reserved like nerdling looking guy. But he was like also sort of weirdly jacked, like Ned Flanders. That's why I like yeah. associate the two. Um, 
man, that was great. We we made our way through everybody. Um, was there another question you had? I know you asked about them being pushed down. I really did like uh, when they kept everybody out there. Um, and there's a show called The Graham Norton Show that if you ever catch on YouTube, it's like an English guy. And it seems like he's got the names, the biggest names ever. And everybody's just kind of out there having like a group chat. It's pretty, pretty really? cool. Okay. Um, so then let's just get into, when we can do these chronologically, we'll go back to Johnny again for this. Just talk about like some of the best bits. Um, I don't remember Johnny's bits in particular. I just remember him having the guests on to, to do their, the, the comedians on to do their sets. But I don't really know. There was like a genie one he did that sort the of fortune like, teller yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, any, anything you have on that? I, I sure, but I got, nothing. no, I mean, I, I was too young. I mean, again, it's, it's, I, yeah. I mean, I do watch the reruns, but not enough to where, like, I've, I have a favorite Johnny Carson bit. Fair. All right. I love the 80s. Take it on. Um, that's on the bingo card, and that's a shout-out to Mike West, which is, I always say that's for, like, I live the insert whatever other decade. I do that once a show, I feel like, where I say, like, in, oh. <laughs> I live the 2000s. Or... Um, did you have a favorite Letterman bit? Uh, it didn't have to be a single one or just like one of the one of the things he had a recurring there was one called uh these are so some of these are so stupid uh it was oh, know yes. your cuts of meat <laughs> okay and it, it had a whole lead-in song with paul schaefer and anything and it was just like it would just show an image of a meat it's like and ask an audience member do you know what cut of meat this is <laughs> <laughs> and uh will it float oh good one uh i liked his man on the street stuff when he would interview people um, and there was one where, like, I think after the Super Bowl, he's a Colts fan, and they were always terrible, except when, like, Peyton Manning got there, and then he, he kind of came came to the fore. Um, but he would go out and, like, jump in a taxi, or, like, he'd, like, drive his desk around, and, like, I, just all kinds of weird stuff with, like, a green screen behind him. Um, he was great. Uh, what about Jay Leno? Leno was Headlines. Yeah. I loved Headlines. Yeah. Headlines was great. I was always on a Monday. I know that. I don't know. Maybe because it was, like, from the Sunday... Or maybe they just had they could compile them over the weekend, but it was always on Monday night, so I made sure to watch it. That um, what was then, always interesting about headlines is you'd think like, okay, they've already selected which ones he's gonna read and hand them to him, and be like, here, read these. Yeah. But if you noticed, he was always sorting through them <laughs> before he'd read one. Yeah. It's like he would take it right on the spot and be like, no, no, no. Okay, yes, here, here's one. <laughs> I wonder if it was just him being like really good at his job and sort of feeling the vibe of the crowd. That's the way I always took it is that he knew what was going to land with the crowd he had that night. If so, that is super talent. I mean, no one can no one can doubt Jay Leno is is a talented man. Yeah, what's the um sort of the well-known underground fact about him about not touching any of his Tonight Show money? Have you heard this? Yes, and I don't know if it's an urban legend or if it's real, but apparently uh, well, I, I do know this for a fact. He still does stand up every weekend. Yeah. Like during during the height of the Tonight Show, he never took a day off. He always worked every single weekend, and it actually created friction between him and Kevin Eubanks. Okay. Uh, um, because when Eubanks left the show, he did an interview, and he's like, "Leno is intense. Like we'd we'd finish a Friday show, and he'd always ask me, "Hey, where where are you working this weekend?" And Kevin's like, nowhere. I'm going home and hanging out with my family. He's like, oh, and he'd and Leno kind of looked down on him a little bit. He's like, how? Why wouldn't you work? Yeah. Like, why would? Why don't you go do a gig somewhere? You know, on on Saturday night and Sunday night. Like, I don't understand. Um. So I can see how he wouldn't 
but I don't see how he could. Like, how can you not <laughs> deposit a check from NBC for like 20 freaking years? I mean, if you're making enough, who knows? He also had a just a ton of cars, of old, really cool cars. He's got a show now called Jay Leno's Garage. I don't know if it's yeah. still going, but uh, it was on YouTube for a while. And that's really interesting. He's got some really cool old stuff. Um, and that was really funny. Was that a Doritos commercial with him and... He- he did. I remember. Well, I remember his old Doritos commercials. Okay. And really, I, I remember when he took the job with at uh, at the Tonight Show. I was like, "Oh, the guy from the Doritos commercials is <laughs> is uh, <laughs> hosting the Tonight Show now." Oh, that's funny. Um, what was your favorite Conan bit? The Walker Texas Ranger lever. <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh man, hands that was down. great. Hands down, that was that was my favorite. There was one that became super popular on the radio in Dallas, and it's when Haley Joe Osment, again from last week, Haley Joe Osment is on, and um he's a little boy in the show, and he's contracted HIV. So like there's just this cut where Conan pulls the lever and the only it's always out of context, and it's just like a <laughs> random cut. And it's just Haley Joel Osment saying Walker told me I have AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> and they would play that cut on the radio station, so that's why I know that very well. Um, he was great. I don't know if it was in after 2000 or not, um, but he did a old-timey baseball like out in the scene. So like, there's this place somewhere in like upstate New York that plays old-timey baseball from like the 1890s or whatever and i just could not keep myself together watching that he also did the ups man these might be 2000 so for sure to get something in that i knew i liked was when he would bring over i think jimmy bavino or no it was him and andy richter but jimmy bavino would sing in the year 2000 so like they would talk about they would wear they'd turn off all the lights they had flashlights they had these like space orbs around their their neck and what was great was like as Y2K approached, I was like, how the hell is he going to do this? Like, what is he going to, is it going to be the year 3000? Is he going to be the year 2100? Like, what does he do? And he's like, in the year 2000. So it's like 2004. They never changed it. <laughs> it's like 2004. It's still in the year 2000. They did finally change it when he moved to, um, um, to the Tonight Show. They okay. finally changed it to 3000, you know, for that nine weeks that he actually had the show. But. Oh, man. Oh, this was good. This is a wild ride, buddy. That I think still the fact to end all facts that he, he found his wife is just like, that's a nugget I was not prepared for, and I really, I'm glad I know that now. Yeah, incredible story. Um, all right, man. Let's push forward to our uh, Jerry Springer moment. Our final thoughts. What are your final thoughts on late night television? Oh, you know what? Screw that. We're not doing that yet. We're going we're gonna to edit this and post, but not at all. I want to talk about two guys from the 90s, Arsenio Hall, and that's going to be our final thoughts on your final thoughts on Arsenio Hall and on the Magic Hour. <laughs> well, I think by now everyone that knows the podcast knows the Magic Hour is just a, a running joke. Uh, <laughs> Magic Johnson had a cup of coffee in late in late night and had a show. Professor gave the statistics before how long it actually lasted. Before you it go on, long. I want to I want to know if you were a betting man. Did he have the show, The Magic Hour, longer, or was he a coach longer? Oh, my God. That would be a good bet, man. I w- I w- not even <laughs> Vegas would touch that. <laughs> I have no clue, but it's got to be close. Neither was very long. 
<laughs> anyway, as you were, sorry. But uh, yeah, that's the magic hour. I mean, I don't really care. But Ar- Arsenio, man, let me tell you, I loved Arsenio. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. It was so fun to watch. It was so hip. He had the coolest guests. I mean, Tupac was on Arsenio. Michael yeah. Jackson was on Arsenio. Yeah. Um, I mean, every every hip hop celebrity, Vanilla Ice, MC Hammer, Cindy Crawford. I remember making a big deal when Cindy Crawford was his guest. <laughs> and I remember she was the only one that uh, he didn't introduce after his monologue. Like she came out like with him with his entries. Like it's Cindy Crawford. I got to bring her out now. <laughs> <laughs> got to maximize the Cindy Crawford time. I'm just surprised at how short his run was because it was a it was a really really popular show I I think really different kind of show and and one thing I always loved about Arsenio is he always gave respect to the WWF wrestlers he had the Ultimate Warrior on there <laughs> he had uh, Hulk, Hulk Hogan on there multiple times Macho Man I remember Macho Man was there uh, the same day uh, that Morgan Fairchild. Uh, was oh, there dear. as a guest and he kept making morgan fairchild jokes he's like morgan fairchild likes my pythons better than hulk hogan's pythons <laughs> isn't that right morgan tell him <laughs> oh man fantastic um yeah our son has come up a few times on this show we talked about him basically rubber stamping bill clinton's sort of like coolness when he was playing yeah. the saxophone on that show and he played uh what song was it do you remember heartbreak hotel heartbreak hotel that's right man um he also there was a really popular i don't know popular but one that i've seen was where he's interviewing muhammad ali and he's like champ i got a couple people back in the back and he brings out mike tyson and maybe sugar ray leonard does this sound familiar to you i'm not sure Mm mm-hmm and it's it's it catches Mike Tyson in one of those like like sweet endearing sensitive like swings where he wasn't just like rage monster you know filled like living tiger um, and he's just so dang respectful and loving towards like Muhammad Ali he's like you're the greatest like they always talk about like who would happen in a fight like I couldn't I could never punch you I could never hit you even if I wanted to you're like the hands down the hands the he's just doing the the thing. Um, (laughs) but Arsenio also was cool because he was an actor as well this was after he was in Coming to America right yeah okay was he an actor in general I guess he was a stand-up comedian right I think he didn't I think he did stand-up comedy he did some acting um yeah you know I I don't know how he ended up getting that show because I don't think he was very high profile before the show i mean he was an actor but he wasn't yeah you know i don't, I don't think he was a, he wasn't like eddie murphy so it was also in the time of like men grunting because there was like tim the Toolman taylor that would just sort of grunt and then like the arsenio <laughs> show like nobody clapped they did like the arm circle <laughs> <laughs> yeah man and it was just like it was all different it was countercultural. i don't remember what show it was on but i do remember that that was always the show that I was like, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't, I can't sleep. And I'd come out and my mom would be watching Arsenio Hall. And I'd get to watch <laughs> Arsenio Hall and I'd stay up like pretending like to lay my head down. I don't know if she was like studying, doing whatever she was doing. She was in school, nursing school. Um, thing about him, final final thing about our, about our Arsenio, because I know, uh, I know we're, we're running short on time here on our show. Well, but, wait, uh, I got to finish that story. 
Oh, I thought you were done. I'm sorry. Continue. <laughs> but then, like, when I would actually get tired was when the, the theme song from MASH would come on. That doo-doo-doo-doo. Oh, that put everyone to sleep, man. That's like, almost right, time to I'm go not, to bed. I'm no longer uh, can't sleep anymore. I'm going to go to bed. I don't have kids yet, but when I do, I'm going to try that as a lullaby. Like, I'm just going to play the MASH theme. I bet that'll put the kid right to sleep. Do that on your next one. <laughs> nice. Okay, sorry. Now you can go on with whatever you're going to say final thoughts-wise. Uh, I was just going to say Arsenio was the only one that would get, like, he would get pissed off. And he'd okay. get very combative if he didn't like the oh. guest um, or if he didn't like what the audience was doing. Okay. So uh, there was, I mean, there was one time he really confronted Vanilla Ice for being a poser, like right That's to his right. face. He's like, you're fake. You lie about where you come from. You know, you're white. You're not a rapper. You know, man. what gives you the right to come here and do that? I mean, just right to his face, man. Yeah. But uh, Vanilla Ice held his own. I got I got respect for him, too. You can check that interview out. It's, it's on YouTube. But there was another time where someone from his audience uh, shouted out and said, why don't you have any gay guests? Okay. And then, like, mid-monologue, Arsino goes, what, wait, what did you say? No, we're going to handle this. And he walked up into the audience, then got face-to-face with the guy. Said, he goes, I may have had many uh, gay guests, but you maybe you don't know whether they're, they're gay or not, because it's none of your business. Nice. And, like, I've had Elton John on here, and he rocked the house out. And yeah. uh, he mentioned some other guy, like, why haven't you brought on so-and-so as a guest? Some celebrity I never heard of. He's like, yeah. I don't know who that is, but if he did something decent, I'd bring him on here and we can talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, interesting. Um, my final thoughts are, what a great time for those kinds of shows. Um, and comedy in general, I feel like. The 1990s was a groove because Saturday Night Live even was sort of like, uh, it kind of fell off a little bit, but it also had like huge bangers in the beginning. That's when like Mike Myers was on there. Um, just heavy hitters. Adam, Adam Sandler, Stanler, all those guys. Chris Farley, that had a nice renaissance. For sure. So comedy was, was really um, high, just high leverage at that point. There's a lot on at stake. And if you could make people laugh, like you could make lots and lots of money. And that's what it came down to. You know, NBC made their decision because Jay Leno was a little safer. He had a little bit, cleaner image they they knew that he could perform that way and he he knocked it out of the park what they asked him to do he did as good or better than anybody i don't know if you know i didn't watch enough carson i don't know who was better but jay leno was incredible at what he did i just know there's the jay leno that we took in and the jay leno that comics talk about in hearing just a lot of like podcasts and things like that where everybody sort of like talks about jay leno with like this veneer of fakeness. Yeah. 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 Um, I can, I can see that. I mean, he's a, he's a businessman at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's what he wants, but, uh, but no, I agree, man. Nineties. I know the more we do this show, the more I realize that really was the best <laughs> decade. <laughs> and, uh, I know we're onto something here because I tell you, there's some copycat podcasts starting to pop up out there. Oh Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. even even serious xm launched one um it's like an official one ah. specifically about the 90s well, let me tell y'all something folks where the where the coke of 90s podcast those other ones they're sam's choice you know <laughs> doc, doc, dr thunder or whatever it is get get the real get the real thing right here at i live in the 90s um also we are absolutely for sale like if you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we, we want we want sponsored real sponsored 
Um, yeah. <laughs> also, we are creeping up on 300 um, members in the Facebook group, which I'm very excited about. So hopefully we can push over here in the next week or so. Yeah, come on, folks. Invite some people, man. I can't do this all myself, damn it. <laughs> well, good night. <laughs> night, y'all. Thanks for listening to I Live the 90s. You can find past episodes along with the companion blog with photos on the website, ilivethe90s.com. 90s spelled it out. You're also invited to join the private Facebook group. Lastly, you can listen to Alan and Brian on Apple or Spotify. If you subscribe or leave a comment, it helps more people discover the podcast. We really appreciate your support.